Okay, God, would you uh, be with us in this time of study of scripture? A lot going on this morning. Thank you for the kids. Thank you for their dancing and enthusiasm. Thank you for the educators. Uh, Just amazing to see so many lined up across the front here. Um, We know that uh, you are sending us forth from this place as a blessing into the community and filled with your spirit, Lord. So would you go with each one? Um, Lord, this is Sunday, and hopefully it's also a day where we can uh, just relax a little bit and maybe pause, maybe pause and think about you. Uh, Enjoy the beautiful weather that you've given us today. Enjoy the company of brothers and sisters. Enjoy some good food. So we invite you to inhabit our Sabbath today as we rest and we reflect on you. And part of that is just uh, understanding you better and understanding our lives and the direction of our lives and how what's happening around us fits into your larger picture. Um, That's an important part of of us being healthy people. And so would you use this time that we have uh, in the study of Psalm 23 to do just that? Continue to make this psalm part of who we are to cause it to be driven deeply into our hearts. so that we can, can walk with you on a daily basis more fully. It's our desire and our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are working on memorizing Psalm 23. As I've said, this is a tool for your spiritual toolbox. And so we're going to, instead of having somebody read the scripture, we're going to read it together, or if you can recite it, we're going to recite it together today. So uh, we will be putting it up there, but hopefully over time, you're continuing to uh, get this more and more embedded, uh, encouraging you to put it on the fridge, to put it in, on your dashboard in your car, um, listen to it. Recite it when you wake up in the morning and when you go to bed so that uh, this uh, becomes just natural to you. It's something that you'll never lose. No matter where you are, if everything else is taken away, you'll have Psalm 23 in your heart. So let's do this. We'll go ahead and and, uh, recite it together. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are working our way through this psalm. This is our fourth Sunday in a row working through this psalm. And we began thinking about this incredible, radical, spiritual possibility, which is that we could actually live a life without want. Now just just think about that for a second. Can you imagine a life without want? This is the radical proposal that David is making to us. King David in Psalm 23, the author of Psalm 23, he's saying to you today, it's possible to live 
a life without lack. It's a radical proposal. And then he begins to unfold how that can take place. And it starts with you living into the rhythms of life. And the first rhythm is the rhythm of rest. So week two, we talked about the rhythm of rest. Do you remember? Uh, There are three phrases. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Lots of words about rest. And then we get to the next rhythm, which is action. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So out of the rest, then we are led in paths of action, righteous action, that honors and glorifies God. So that's where we're at. Today we come to what you could say is the third rhythm of a life without lack. And this is probably the most challenging rhythm. It is the rhythm of suffering. This rhythm can be so overwhelming to us that it has the power to cause us to question the value of all the other rhythms. In other words, it it, it can become sort of this force field that makes it difficult for us to even live into the rest or live into the action or any other pieces of this psalm because suffering is such a powerful force in our lives. It has the ability to over us. It can sap your strength. Anybody been there? It can immobilize you such that you just want to be still like, like that lost sheep which is in a panic and shuts down and the shepherd has to come and pick up the sheep and carry it all the way home. Suffering is a tremendous powerful force in our lives. But what we're seeing in Psalm 23 is that suffering is actually one of the rhythms of life. Now, it's not for nothing that historically people have used the existence of pain and suffering in the world as an evidence that there must not be a God. The problem of pain is, is one of the the, 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 the logical uh, explanations that atheists have made to say there can't be a God, otherwise there'd be no suffering or pain. And I, I, I venture to, to guess that in those moments when your suffering is most acute, one of the questions that you're asking is, God, where are you? God, where are you? Since suffering is so common which we'll see, and can so easily trip us up. It's really essential as we look at verse four today that we make sense of suffering within the context of a larger relationship with God. And that's our goal for today. I remind you of what Philip Keller said. Philip Keller wrote a, a, a reflection on Psalm 23. Um, he was both a pastor and a shepherd, and so he had unique insight And as I quoted before, he said, uh, regarding making sense of life, it is the Lord who makes sense and purpose and meaning come out of situations which otherwise would be a mockery to me. Suddenly, life starts to have significance. I discover I am the object of his special care and attention. So what I want to say to you today is that the Lord today, uh, as we study this psalm, is going to help you to make sense of suffering. 
Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about, under the theme, the larger heading of suffering is an essential rhythm of life. Okay, that's, that's the statement that Psalm 23 is making. We're going to talk uh, in two moves about that. First of all, hard times come. Hard times come. And secondly, you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. All right, so let's jump in. Hard times come. Now, get your, 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 your imagination going here a little bit. Think about uh, shepherding. Uh, in the summertime, shepherds lead sheep uh, high up into the mountains to find, you know, pastures that are rich in resources, um, food, uh, you know, the lush green pastures where they can be fed. Um, the pathway up, though, to those new pastures is often difficult, and so the shepherd will take the sheep along the ravines or the valleys that go up the hill so that they can be constantly next to the source of water, uh, but that pathway is, is, is at times dangerous. There can be cliffs on the side, and so the danger of the sheep falling off the cliff, there can be beasts who are pursuing and uh, following after them, and the shepherd is the one who has to protect the sheep from those. There can be dangers for the sheep on the pathway itself. So uh, sheep are fragile, and they can trip and, and, and break a leg, and so then they have to be tended and, and cared for. Um, and there can be bad weather that, that impedes their progress. So at any moment, a storm can come in, and, and all of those factors taken together can uh, mean that the flock will will end up delayed and night falls and they're in this ravine or this valley and darkness comes upon them. And for the sheep, it's an incredibly scary moment. And your life, this passage is saying, and, and my life is like that of the sheep. Um, dangers to the left and to the right obstacles below as we're trying to walk forward and, and barriers from above like the weather. And at moments in our lives, we feel like darkness has settled upon us. Maybe for you right now, it's, I made a list of things it could be. It could be sickness or it could be a sudden injury. Uh, it could be the loss of a loved one or even the threat of the loss of a loved one. It could be estrangement from somebody who's important to you. It could be burnout or betrayal. It could be attack. Maybe you're a victim of violence. It could be injustice or failure of some sort that has settled upon you. It could be work uncertainty. Maybe f there's a a cloud over your finances right now. It could be persecution. Or it could be any of these things I've just mentioned happening to somebody that you care about deeply. And so you are walking alongside them in that. Well, David refers to all those kinds of things, um, to the collective suffering of humanity as the valley of the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death. Of death. Now the, the word can be translated alternatively as darkness, and so there is that element of darkness in there. You'll see that some modern translations will uh, just say the valley of darkness. But 
more likely than not, it does include that, that concept of death as well. The word can, can be reflective of both of those. And so it's an accurate and appropriate and a really helpful translation, the valley of the shadow of death. Now, in a valley is an enclosed space, right? A lot of times when you're in a valley, there's steep, steepness on both sides. And so um, it, you don't have options. And if there's some sort of beast or creature that's pursuing you from behind and there's a rough road in front of you, it, it feels like you're trapped. You're enclosed. You're in an enclosed space. And suffering feels like that, doesn't it? Suffering feels like being trapped in an enclosed space. And layered in that is the shadow, which suggests that there's something dangerous looming over you while you are in that enclosed space, feeling that sense of being trapped. And, and suffering can have that same quality to it. There is an oppressiveness and an inescapability that often settles upon us when we are in deep and dark suffering. You don't just merely walk away from the cloud, right? On a, on a cloudy day, you can't, you can't walk away from the cloud. It's, it's too far. It's too big. So you're, you're, you're stuck under it. Um, you can't just simply dispel the, the cloudiness. You don't have power over it. It's greater than you. And you are trapped in the valley underneath it. And then ultimately that looming something, David says, is the shadow of death. Uh, I've said this before, and I think it's a, it's a powerful truth to remember that ultimately all suffering is a subset of the great suffering, which is death. When Adam and Eve sinned at the beginning, the implication of that was that death entered into the world. And so suffering is suffering because we experience it somehow as motion towards a death of some sort. And so we're afraid of that loss. We're, 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 we're not wanting it to happen. It's a subset. All suffering is a subset of the big suffering, which is death. So David's word choice, I find to be extremely helpful here, um, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, um, there are flecks of redemption already in the way that David is describing his particular suffering. And, and, and those of you who know the story of David, you know that he speaks this way out of genuine trauma and difficulty. If you read the life of David, you will see over and over again a very intense kind of suffering. Suffering on multiple levels, different layers, different kinds of suffering. So he's not speaking theoretically here. He's speaking out of lived experience. Um, and, and, and we're not even to the good news. My next point is going to be the good news part of suffering. But already, even as we acknowledge that hard times come, um, the, the flecks of redemption are creeping in. Let me, let me explain what I mean. 
If you take the way David talks about suffering and apply his language to your experiences of suffering, you will be blessed. So he says what? He says, I am, he says something like this. You could say this about your suffering. I am walking through a dark valley right now. That's to take David's language and use it as a way to think about your own suffering. I'm walking through a dark valley right now. Or alternatively, you could say a shadow Possibly even a shadow of death, but a shadow has been cast over my relationships. A shadow has been cast over my relationship with this person or over my job situation or over my finances. A shadow has been cast, right? So I find that when we adopt actually the language of David in thinking about suffering, already we're finding ourselves moving on the path of God's redemptive work in the midst of our suffering. So contrast the way David talks about suffering uh, with some of the less helpful ways that we describe our suffering. You know, like, my life is over, right? How different is that from I'm walking through a dark valley right now? Uh, everything is ruined, right? These are, the, these are the ways that within our minds we assess what we're experiencing in the moment uh, in ways that actually can cause the suffering to be made worse because they're not accurate to God's work in our lives. Um, it's hopeless, or I knew it would end like this. These are phrases that we can use to characterize our suffering. And what David's doing, he's teaching us, look, this is how you even talk about the suffering in your life. You maybe have a different phraseology. Whatever your phrase of doom is, think about that right now. The one that you repeat to yourself in the darkest moments the moments that are characterized by the deepest suffering. And David's inviting you. He's saying, look, take on my words. I'm walking through a valley, a dark valley right now. That's different than all hope is lost. It acknowledges the pain and the the struggle without descending into the hopelessness. Remember what uh, Dallas Willard said, I've been, if you've been with us, I've been quoting from Dallas Willard, who also wrote a book on Psalm 23 uh, entitled Life Without Lack. It's a great book. It's more theoretical and philosophical than the book by Philip Keller, which is really getting into what it means to be a shepherd and how it applies here. Both are wonderful, and I'm, 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 re, I'm rereading the Philip Keller book and just really enjoying that. Um, and I am glancing back at the other one. I just encourage you to journey along uh, with me in that. It, it, but one of the things that Dallas Willard emphasizes, remember we've said this before, is uh, the mind, he emphasizes the mind as a means by which we lay hold of things, the things of God. And here we see that taking place, that even the way that we characterize our suffering is part of the redemptive process. And using our minds to think of it in the way that David gives us an example of thinking of suffering will help us along the pathway. So we're not, ever, we're not saying that hard times won't come. That's not the message of the gospel. 
that hard times won't come. Hard times will be part of life. But even the way we think about our suffering can seed, like a little seed, you can begin to seed the redemptive process in the way that you describe what you're experiencing. And so the first encouragement for us, even at the very beginning, as we think about hard times coming, is to let God teach us uh, how to talk and how to think about suffering. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. All right. Now that's, that's almost like just a preliminary. Now for the main event. And that is this, the simple statement. My second point, you don't have to fear. Fear not would be another way to say it. I almost entitled this point, fear not. And what David is going to describe to us in verse 4 here, I think, are two reasons for us not to fear in the midst of suffering. He's not saying that you won't suffer, but he's saying to us in the midst of our suffering, fear not. He says, I will fear no evil. Now, the word evil there uh, doesn't refer merely to satanic or demonic forces it's more broadly applied to all that's bad in this context. So I will, fear, I will fear nothing that could happen to me, including what the enemy could do to me and everything else. Now, why does he encourage us? Well, he gives us two reasons. There's two reasons we are to fear not. Number one is that valleys are part of a righteous life. I love, Derek Kidner wrote a book on the Psalms. Derek Kidner is an Old Testament um, commentator and he's probably one of my favorite of all. And he says this, he says, the dark valley or ravine is as truly one of God's right paths as are the green pastures. A fact that takes much of the sting out of any ordeal. When you are walking through suffering, you are no less on God's path than you would otherwise be. I find this uh, super encouraging. Um, Valleys are not, not just part of life, generally speaking, which we've already indicated, but they're part of a righteous life. The person who loves the Lord and is seeking the Lord and walking with the Lord will experience seasons of suffering. There will be a rhythm of suffering to his or her life. And isn't it interesting um, how oftentimes when we're suffering, maybe this is just me, I think it's not just me, but oftentimes we're in the midst of intense suffering, there's a temptation to feel like a spiritual failure. In fact, uh, in the New Testament, um, you know, one of the things that the culture around Jesus believed is if you were suffering, it was because you'd done something wrong. It was your fault. Like if you were a righteous person, you would be wealthy and everything would be fine. And Jesus comes along and he preaches a different message. He talks about taking up your cross. And so we have this tendency though um, to feel in the midst of suffering like a spiritual failure. Um, It's intriguing and sad to me how shame can creep into our suffering and layer on top of our suffering an additional uh, element of suffering that compounds what we're actually experiencing. Because we feel shame that we're suffering. And a lot of times, it's an irrational shame. I mean, 
if you're a victim of violence, right, you, there should be no shame in that. You didn't do anything wrong. You're the victim. And yet, it's true of almost every victim of violence that it comes with this kind of shame. If you're sick, right, you didn't do that. And yet, you can feel this kind of sense of shame. There have been times in my life where, um, you know, I've got layers of suffering that are happening and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to communicate it to the people around me without it being overwhelming and I, I over-communicate and I, I pull back and I'm, I'm trying to manage this shame process. I, I liken it sometimes to, you know, those of you who watch Peanuts and you remember that, what was that guy's name that always stunk and like pig pen and he always had this like cloud around him right and sometimes spiritually we can feel we feel like there's a spiritual cloud around us as we move through a life that includes suffering and one of the things that that comes out of this passage and that Derek Kidner points out which is so powerful is that this is part not only of life it's part of a righteous life suffering is part of of a right a life that is in pursuit of God suffering is part of it turns out valleys are part of a righteous life James 1 2 through 4 count it all joy my brothers and sisters when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing Did he just rip that from Psalm 23? I don't know. A life without lack. A life without want. Hebrews 5.8. I don't even know how to get my mind around this completely. So I'm going to read this first. But I don't know that I'm ready to fully explain it. Uh, There are mysteries and questions I have about this. In the book of Hebrews, talking about Jesus, okay, it says this. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. That's the path of Jesus Christ. If that's the path of Jesus Christ, then maybe we can expect this will be our path as well. And then this, Job 23, 10, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But he, God knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. The Bible makes clear that you should expect suffering to be a part of life, even a righteous life. Valleys, dark valleys, death valleys, shadow valleys are part of a righteous life. So that's the first point. The second one on why, the second reason you don't have to fear is because what, you know what this is, God is with you. God is with you. For the sheep, you know, it's not merely a wishful thinking feeling of of the shepherd being there. The shepherd really is with them. And it's the presence of the shepherd that causes them to experience comfort. Um, It's not just a feeling. It's it's truth. And a good shepherd stays with the sheep in the dark valley and guides them through the dark, especially in the dark valley, guides them through the dark valley. Um, And the principal reason that they don't fear is because the shepherd is with them. And that's the same thing is true for you and for me. 
that a good shepherd, if we have a shepherd at all, and if that shepherd is good, that shepherd will be with us in the dark valley. And that will be the principal reason that we need not fear in the midst of the dark valley. Because the shepherd is with us. God is with us. In suffering, if you're like me, you probably ask the question, you know, God, are you there? Is God with me in this? Because all the pain that is settling upon you and coursing through you causes you to wonder, God, if you're good and you're out there, why would you allow this to be taking place? It's one of the great existential questions And we oftentimes answer that question with a no. God, you must not be with me. Because we're looking for a particular kind of evidence of God's presence. If God were with me, he wouldn't have let this happen. If God were with me, he'd stop this. If God were with me, he'd take the hurt away. David points us in a different direction. When you're asking the question, is God with me? David points us in a different direction. The comfort of the sheep is not that the valley is made to go away. God's comforting presence is experienced in a particular way, David says, through the rod and the staff. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's a definition. So he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Okay, explain that a little bit more, David, because sometimes I don't feel like it. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A rod, uh, this is a wooden cudgel, maybe so long. They, they pull up a stick and make it out of the root so it's got a bulbous end to it. Um, each shepherd would make one that would fit their design just perfectly and it can u- be used to bludgeon things. Um, they become very proficient, shepherds do, with the rod. They are never, ever without the rod. It always hangs at their side. They don't let it go. Um, Philip Keller tells the story of he was working with another shepherd, and they were trying to move a rock. And when they pushed the rock over, a cobra came out. And before he could think, the shepherd had grabbed his rod and smashed the cobra and killed it. In other words, the the shepherd is constantly with the rod. The rod is a key part of their being. They never let it go, even when they're trying to lift a big rock. Um, they, they, like I said, they become very proficient at throwing the rod, so that so that um, the rod can be thrown at an attacking beast, or the rod can also be thrown towards a sheep or at a sheep that's, that's going to be in danger. Maybe if it's close to the edge of a cliff or there's fighting going on, the, the rod would be used either by touching the sheep or by throwing it to bring the sheep back in line, which is ultimately a, a way of protecting the sheep, right? All right, so a staff, now you, you probably pictured the staff uh, because every time you see an image of a shepherd, they have a staff. It's got the crook in it. It's long and it's thin and um, it's the emblem of the shepherd and it's used for many things like to pick up a, a little lamb and move it towards uh, its mother if they've gotten separated. Um, the staff is used to, to pull a, 
a wayward sheep out of a thicket could reach in with the staff and pull the sheep out of the thicket. Or um, if there's a sheep that's about to go in the wrong direction, the staff can be laying against the sheep to press it from a distance back into line so that it goes in the right direction. Philip Keller tells this story. He said he's even seen shepherds who walk along and, and with one of their favorite sheep, they'll just allow the, the staff to be laying across the back of the sheep as if to indicate their togetherness as they walk alongside each other. So the rod and the staff then are signs of correction and protection. And they're expressions of God's caring presence, of the shepherd's caring presence. So go back to the question, how do you know that God is with you in suffering? And the answer is his rod and his staff, they comfort you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. You, will, you know he will correct you as needed and he will protect you as needed. Um, in, in my darkest moments of suffering, and maybe you've been here as well, um, you know, just honestly, you ask questions about why, God, why should I still believe in you, right? I, mean, I have these kind of frank, I hope you have these sort of frank conversations with Jesus. Like, you know, Ask the hard questions of God. And I remember a particular uh, time when I was really asking the hard question. I kept asking it and, and none of the answers seemed to, to be adequate to me. And I was starting to despair and thinking to myself, man, what, have, what would happen if I came up with, a, with an answer, right? That I didn't come up with an answer. And it was right around that moment when it, it dawned on me. It sort of washed over me with clarity that the reason that I still believe in God is because in the midst of this painful suffering, I can see a work that God is doing in my heart to change and transform me that nobody else could do. He's leading me to a higher pasture, one that's more lush, one that's more beautiful, one that's filled with all kinds of glorious resources that are going to feed and nourish me. And the pain of this moment makes it hard for me to see and accept and understand that process. But he's leading me to a higher pasture in a way that nobody else could. Nobody can cure your soul like the living God. Nobody can cure your soul like the living God. Nobody has that complete and perfect insight. And, and, and that's what David is saying in this. He's saying, look, um, God, you know God is there in the midst of your suffering because you see him correcting and removing and changing and transforming the broken things in your heart. I'm not even getting to the point of saying that's why there is suffering. I think it's dangerous to answer, to say conclusively this is why there's suffering. I think there's always an element of mystery to it. But in the midst of your suffering, you know God is present because he is at work in your soul. He's at work in your soul. And that comforts you. That comforts you. That's what you look to to say, I'm not alone. To, to be able to say in faith, I fear no evil for you are with me. And I know it because I see you doing a work in me. 
to correct me, to, to cause me to, 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 to you know, as, as Job says, he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold, right? The second one is that uh, the other thing I found really helpful in the midst of the darkest valley is to reflect on how much God is protecting me. I mean, as long as the grocery list of my ailments is and my difficulties you know, it's always possible to think it could be worse. It's always possible to say, you know what? Actually, this could get a lot more sideways than it is right now. And what David seems to be saying to us is that your God who loves you, in the midst of suffering, has not removed his protection from you. I know, I know what you're experiencing seems like the worst it could be. I know what you're experiencing seems way beyond what you think you would need to get the lessons that you need to learn. I know that the, the suffering you're experiencing is mysteriously bad to you. But David is saying, your shepherd who carries a rod and the staff for protection. Think of that. Think of that shepherd who, when they lift up the rock, the cobra comes out, and before you know it, he smashed it on the head. That's a picture of God's watchfulness over you when you're in the midst of suffering. He has not forgotten you. He has not left you. I, I, I mean, if we're really honest about it, I mean, if we're really honest about it, you know, and we think about our sinfulness. We would all deserve so much worse than we are currently experiencing. Kind of unpopular to say that, but kind of a reality we've got to grapple with. That, that we can imagine a world that is infinitely worse than the one we're currently experiencing. And it is God's protective hand and his love that keeps us from going there. The path of righteousness will continue like this, it seems to say. This rhythm of righteousness will continue for the rest of our lives because God is continuing to lead us up into the high spiritual pastures where the grass is greenest, the waters are most pure, where the view is most glorious, and where our shepherd is most present. And ultimately, where this goes is we're going to walk through the deepest, darkest valley, which is actually death itself. That's the reality of life. So how amazing it is it then that our good shepherd has already walked that path for us? That Jesus walked through death, and guess what? He came up on the other side. He rose again. So, so yes, there are valleys, and there are, there are valleys, but the path doesn't end in the valley. The path ends in the resurrection. So God, we want to thank you today that you have allowed us to move along your paths of righteousness, even when they entail suffering. Lord, would you help us to frame our suffering in the way that you teach us to frame it here in Psalm 23. These are valleys 
of shadow of death, but we are walking through them and we are not alone. You are with us, evidenced by your protective care and the things that you are doing in our hearts to change us and transform us and make us more like you. And we know that at the end of the trail, there is goodness and there is grace and there is mercy and there is hope because there is resurrection. And we thank you, Lord, for leading us through. You are a good and faithful shepherd. And we worship you because of that, even in the midst of our suffering. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Pastor Andrew. God.